Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the extended, ad-free, full episode, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Now on with the show. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown to get a free audiobook. And stay tuned for my book recommendation. That's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And with us right now, beaming through the TV wall, is Coffee Break. (laughs) (laughs) Finally made it on the Create Unknown. I'm excited. Well, we're super excited to talk to you. You put out a video in May about the YouTube trending tab, which is something that I've been obsessed with for a long time and was really excited to find somebody who was more... Uh, well, actually, like way more obsessed with it. <laughs> a lot more, a lot more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> than I am. So, so kudos to you for that. Um, and some other things I want to talk about are uh, a couple podcasts. A few podcasts ago, we talked about Matt and I talked about your um, vaping and oh, smoking video oh, yeah, being yeah. suppressed. So, like video suppression, I want to get into. And you also did a video on kind of junk science and science replications. Uh, the science replication crisis. So there's a lot, there's a lot to get into, but I want to start with YouTube trending because that's the thing that I think is super fishy. And Let's it's just something put it that, way. that nobody had ever done before in the way that you did it. I mean, people talked about some of the patterns with trending and it was just like, uh, hey, does that really show what legitimate trending videos are on YouTube? And everybody realized, no, but that's as deep as it got. And then- like that was surface level deep. And then you'd like drilled to the center of the earth on this. It, it was a difference between like digging a hole for a tree and like digging a well 10,000 feet down. So I think there's a lot to go into on that. Oh, for sure. And like the biggest thing, I mean, it's what you guys have already said, which is I felt like the conversation around that, that topic was full of a lot of intuition, which is like fine and intuition's good. But um, ultimately, it, it felt like we were just all lacking any real concrete data because YouTube doesn't really let any of that go public. And so um, I found this guy from, from the University of Glasgow, England, I think. Um, anyway, he did a bunch of data collection on it. And this data pile was just sort of sitting there. No one had really interpreted it, that it or at least on a YouTube level from a YouTuber perspective. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is everything that I'm going to focus on for the next like two months. Because like you, I'm like, I want to know, is it rigged? I mean, it feels like all there are is like Jimmy Kimmel, you know, CNN, all these like mainstream companies, but we just have no way of knowing. And at any time, someone can like sow that seed of like, well, maybe they just earned the spot. Maybe they did, you know? So, so yeah, I was dying to get into that. And I think we found some pretty interesting things. So for the seven people who have not seen this video, can you sum it up in two sentences? We'll put a link in the description sure. so that, I mean, everybody, anybody who's interested in this podcast, which is, you know, generally about YouTube things and 
online media and all of that. Anybody who's listening to this podcast needs to watch your video on this topic anyway. So we'll pop that in the description. But until they can get to watch it, can you give us a summary? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So basically what I did is I took 40,000 videos, uh, a little over that, collected over nine months. And the data was collected every day at the same time every day. And they, we saw, we checked what's on the training tab that day. And then I took that gigantic Excel sheet. I classified all the data. You know, are these traditional media? Is this a creator? Is this music? Who, who is this? Um, and put them into buckets and then basically ran some analysis on it. And what we found was overwhelmingly YouTube preferentially puts mainstream media on the trending tab suppresses controversial creators and suppresses news sources that are not mainstream news sources. So even if a video is really popular, has a lot of views, is a substantial high quality video, it may not make trending because it offends one of those little bits that, that you mentioned, whether it's creator that they don't prefer, a topic that they don't, or a credibility, like broader credibility issue. Is that Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's kind of bizarre too, because you see the creators, you know, some creators will trend with 10 million views and Jimmy Kimmel will trend with 500,000 views. And because of that lower bar that he has to get to to trend. And by the way, these are not over different timescales. These are both like one day in, right? Like PewDiePie can have like 9 million views one day in and he'll hit trending right then. And so we see him appear and it takes him that threshold to get over like what you might consider the bar to get on trending. Whereas, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, we see him trend like 50 times, 60 times uh, over those nine months, which is like twice a week, by the way, which is insane. <laughs> we, we see him trend with way lower views. So if you think about it, just like as a hurdle, like everyone's sprinting and then they're like doing a hurdle for creators, the bar's way higher on the view count than it is for mainstream content. And I, I, looking at it from YouTube's perspective, the question is why? Like why? Like, first of all, it's clear, I think, well, there's been this underlying sentiment or feeling for a long time that YouTube was uh, hand-selecting or curating videos, you know, personally as a company to put on the trending tab. The reason why is I would assume it's because they to some degree, want this to be representative of here's what YouTube is, right? They don't want here's what YouTube is to be weird internet, like Pew News videos (laughs) or, you know, like, I guess, H3 carrying around like a giant vape and dressed up in his like 420 Vape Nation gear. And my question kind of is, is why? Because it seems like it's got to be money-driven, right? Like the advertisers, Johnson & Johnson and Heineken see Pew News as being... Like, let me give you an example. This is a really good example. I can't go into too many details without like throwing something under the bus, but I had an instance recently. Man, how can I describe this? Do I know what this is? You do know what this is. Yeah, this just happened like last week. Oh, okay. Where Vsauce 2 was being pitched to work with someone or something. Sure. Okay? Just try to keep this as vague as possible. The best thing is, Stephen, I'm trying to figure this out in real time with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to piece this together. You'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Kevin's being as vague as possible. I am. I don't want to get in trouble. But we'll just say... The crux of this story is that 
Uh, this person was being pitched Vsauce 2 as someone to work with. They were given a video of mine as an example of like the type of content that that they could be associated with. And their reaction to it was, this is like low budget crap that this guy just shot in his backyard. Like, this is really pathetic, basically, and cheap and not up to my standards. Why would I ever consider associating myself with this like backyard homemade DIY explainy guy? And so that was the reaction. Are you saying that you didn't get the didn't get the deal sponsorship on this one? Well, we'll see. It's pending. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're I don't know it's gonna come of that, but it doesn't sound good. I can see what you're saying though, where somebody where where YouTube would want to promote YouTube in in the broader public's eyes as highly polished, really great stuff when we know that sometimes the homebrew, the really basic, fun, natural, organic videos like that, like something in your backyard, is going to be absolutely the best content. But that's that's kind of an extension of, of what goes on trending and why. Steven, do you think that that thumb on the scales, which is, uh, it's probably even stronger than saying a thumb on a scale, right? Uh, and I remember a long time ago, somebody said, hey, why don't you just rename it to Staff Picks if, if you're going to yeah. do it this way? And and we'd look at that and say, oh, okay. And nobody would have a problem with that. Um, but it's one thing to do to make a video more popular by pu- putting it on trending. But is that affecting content too? Uh, is is the thumb on the scales driving content in a direction where it's being altered? Like, does somebody like Kevin not make a video in his backyard next time because he wants to appeal to whatever YouTube values. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for sure, for sure it is. People are always, when, when you think of YouTube, how do you know what's popular, what's encouraged on the site in a big way? Trending is sort of YouTube's implicit stamp of approval of like, we want to see more of this. This is the best of our site. And so when content creators are either dismissed or like certain types of content are overwhelmingly rewarded on the trending tab. Um, of course, you're going to see more of that type of content. I think that's pretty obvious. And um, the other thing, to your point about YouTube, like having a staff picks first trending, they sort of want to have their cake and eat it too. And you saw this with the rewind, like YouTube rewind. They wanted it to be on the one hand a reflection of everything that's popular on YouTube, but it was very clear that they also didn't want that. Right? Like they wanted to <laughs> pick. That very specifically pick the parts of YouTube that they like and include that and then leave everything else out and say, oh, you know what? We're not really going to pay any attention to that. Well, that's the trending tab, right? Like YouTube wants to be able to say, oh, this is actually what's popular on our site. This isn't just us saying it. This is actually popular. But at the same time, they want the fidelity of being able to be like, well, we don't want just anything going on. We don't want it to be just a true reflection of whatever's popular. Um, And I think... Them doing that and just the lack of transparency there is what gets people so frustrated about it. I think to your point, Matt, like if they just said it's staff picks, people would feel a lot better about it because it would feel like, okay, we already know what this is. But when you're just coming on the platform, you don't know anything. It seems like a bait and switch sort of like, it's like, oh, this is trending, but wait, it's actually kind of not. So yeah, that's that's sort of like my biggest bone to pick with YouTube. But actually, I don't think there should be a staff picks. I think YouTube was built to be a bottom up site. Like it was built to surface. It was. This is like my 
my big frustration is what I see as a move of YouTube from being a bottom-up platform to being more like a publisher, like TV, where it's like things are selected to be popular. And I think if you just look at the ethos of YouTube, it was always broadcast yourself, right? Like we have no gatekeepers. We have none of this. So unless YouTube's ready to make like a big shift of what they are, I think we should encourage them to be like, no, we don't want a staff fix. We want a trending tab. We actually want to know what's popular on our site. We want to celebrate the people who did the biggest video this week. So I agree that staff picks would be more transparent, but I hate that idea and I don't want to see that. <laughs> One thing that you said, I just I want to highlight it because I think this is awesome conceptually that you matched up trending with rewind. And as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, is trending like a real-time live feed version all year long of what YouTube rewind is? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I would be remiss not to point out here that YouTube has promised to like change things and da 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 da. You know, we're gonna change the balance of trending. We know it's like sort of like we've heard you guys. We know trending sucks. So I will say, <laughs> the guy who gathered the data doesn't gather the data, the data anymore. But I've started to gather my own data. So we will do a follow up to see if they've actually kept their word on that in about a year. There's going to be trending 2.0 then. This is in the works? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, the training tab has changed. I mean, I've seen PewDiePie on there a couple of times now, which before he wouldn't even appear on the U.S. training tab uh, where you saw it most curated. You mentioned U.S., and that was the one thing that I, I was really blown away by in your video is making that distinction between what's trending in the United States and how organic and, and normal, I guess, it is in other countries. What's the difference there between how trending works in the U.S. and how trending works in Uganda and why? Yeah, sure. So the easiest way to explain it is just who consistently shows up pretty much everywhere else, right? You know, I looked at Canada, for example, and the biggest thing I noticed was there were just a lot more creators that I knew about and like I knew were really popular appearing a lot more often and they needed less views to appear. Like, so you imagine that hurdle analogy again, the hurdle was way lower for them. Not exactly where mainstream media was, but it was like much closer and they were better able to compete as a result. So I started to like, be like, wait, why is this? And it occurred to me that, look, YouTube's under a lot of pressure to maintain this image, right? And the biggest amount of pressure of that comes from the US. Uh, and so they have every incentive to really heavily curate that sort of front page of what is YouTube is there. And then elsewhere, you know, it takes time to curate things manually. And so it makes sense that they wouldn't. And so once I thought about that, I just started looking around and yeah, everyone starts showing up. Everybody you think like H3H3, uh, PewDiePie, you know, Philip DeFranco, all these guys that get these massive numbers over and over and over appeared over and over and over, which is great. Like that's what you want. You want to celebrate the people who are successful. So yeah, that was really weird. But people took that and thought like, oh, well, we'll just move to Canada or whatever, or I'll VPN <laughs> over to Canada. And it's like, wait, 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 guys, you're not understanding. Everything they do in the US is will eventually move everywhere else. The, the point is that we don't approve of where they're he heading. <laughs> anyway. I'm really glad to hear that you're working on a follow-up because that was going to be one of my questions. Was I really, it, did I, I, yeah, did I really I pull the rug out from under you I on really, this? No, I just want a follow-up because <laughs> I have more questions. Uh, one of the things that you did in your, in your first video, and just for those uh, who are listening or are watching on YouTube and want to look it up, it's called What 40,000 Videos Tells Us or Tell Us About the Trending Tab. But one of the things that I really loved was your categorization. So you, you developed, what, six categories, YouTuber, commercial, 
trailer, music, traditional media, and conventional viral. I think those are are mostly self-explanatory. Conventional viral, you basically said, was a uh, a channel that had less than ten thousand subscribers, but they made this mm-hmm. viral video. You know, I, I suppose like the Charlie bit my finger. Exactly. Or, or double rainbow uh, of of our day, um, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I too remember the Bill Clinton presidency. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it was not that long ago. <laughs> now maybe this is getting too granular and it's too much work. But I would love further categorization because there are a handful of types or genres of video that I see all the time on trending and. I don't have names for these. I just wrote down like the first things that came to mind and I would love to develop names for these. And part of what I want to do on the Create Unknown in general is start codifying some of this stuff so that we have vernacular to use when talking about it. So I wrote down uh, animated stories. So that would be something like um, Story Booth or uh, Odd One Out or Jaden Animation, I think, probably fit into that category. Yeah, Basically, yeah. where you're animating a story, and whether sure. it's like this content farm that's just pulling stories from Reddit in, and, and churning out animations in Russia, or it's like an original creator who spends a really long time you know, animating a story about their personal life. But that, that is a bucket to me. Okay, that's big enough to that, be a genre. Yeah, I see okay. that all the time. Like an animated story channel. Another one... This is not a good name. I put shock visual. I don't know if that's good enough. But under shock visual, I would consider things like, in the past, you would see a lot of things like crushing things with a hydraulic press or cutting something in half with like sure. a 1,000 degree knife. What's inside is really a shock visual kind of channel. What's inside, yeah, cutting yeah. things in half, slow-mo guys, right. you know, yeah, where yeah. you're showing something kind of shocking and novel for the first time. That shows up all the time. Uh, trick shots, where it's like, we dropped a beehive off the Empire State Building onto a frozen trampoline, and it's like <laughs> 40 million views, you know? And, you know, Dude Perfect, obviously, yeah. being the shining example, but gosh, there's a lot of Dude Perfect Clones, derivatives yeah. uh, showing up on trending all the time. Uh, wacky food. Wacky food I see all the time where it's like $1 cheeseburger versus $1,000 cheeseburger or making homemade Cheetos (laughs) or reviewing a sandwich from KFC. Trying to think of some other examples. I have have disdain for so many types of content you just described. I hate to say that. (laughs) And like, keep that between us. Don't... Actually, I don't care. But uh, (laughs) like... I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, it seems it anyways. Um, <laughs> some people view YouTube as a business and I guess I view it more as an art. And so I don't like when people are like just farming for money when it's like very clear that there's just like, okay, what else can I stick under my, you know, blender sort of like the will it blend kind of thing. Like I'll just, what, I'm going to put an apple in it today, a Lego in it tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that, I mean, that succeeds a lot. You're absolutely right. And it just is what it is. I'd be, my question is, what kind of questions are you trying to answer with that? Because that's the biggest thing is you categorize in order to get a question answered. And so my question was like, is mainstream media being favored? And so what kind of answer were, would you be trying to get? Oh, I suppose the, 
question, like I would love to see a pie chart. Mm. I would love, I would love to create more categories yeah. that a lot of stuff could fit in, like shock visual, wacky food, trick shots. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think these are categories that are simultaneously descriptive and 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 targeted enough that you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say like shock food. Like a lot of stuff could fall into that from a lot of different channels. So you did a pie chart that was like YouTuber, traditional media. You you already yeah. did this. I want another one that goes that 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 goes a little bit more specific into these buckets that I'm outlining that I see crop up all the time cuz here's my intuition is that there are like a dozen of these categories that just overwhelm the trending tab yeah, the, yeah. there's a dozen categories that that represent like 95% of the trending tab and then the re- the other 5% is like something that doesn't fit into one of those buckets but like those buckets I think we could find are the majority of what you see on trending. Are you going to make a slice of this pie devoted to twerking videos? To <laughs> twerking videos? <laughs> no. Because, <laughs> because they, they, po- they populate trending to an unreasonable degree, don't you think? Twerking music videos do. Twerking regular videos don't as much. No, it's got to be an element of something else. Yeah. So I think it can be broken down and in a lot of different ways. But so my my question leads to a big one for both of you guys. The first question is how much value would, would twerking in either of your videos actually add? Would they help you get on trending? Minus a thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vsauce to work. We just changed the channel name, right? Yes. Um no. But so so Stephen, I've known you over a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've, We've talked for a long a time now. Yeah. So I have a decent understanding of what you do. On Kevin a long time. You guys are two of my absolute favorites. And that's why I want you together right now to come up with a video that's most likely to hit trending based on what you know from the data, based on what Kevin knows from 85 oh, years. Let me guys, YouTube. let me show you guys something. Okay. All right. Hold on. I've actually got the perfect thing for this. Can I take a moment to go pull this up? It's going to sure, take like, yeah. Five, yeah, hold on one second. I've got like the perfect thing. <laughs> All right. Well, while you pull that up, I'm going to say just fill something fill a pool with something, with a lot of something. You had a tweet about that, wasn't it? Yeah. What, what were you filling a pool with? Oh, geez. I don't remember it everything. Was rusted, rusty knives Rusty knives, one. yeah. Uh, I think gummy, gummy bears might have been another one. <laughs> but I feel like you could just pick something, yeah. fill a pool with it, and then either Photoshop yourself in it okay. or actually go in it, and you have a pretty solid chance so if you filled the pool with gummy bears and dove in, like that would be enough, you think, to make this happen? I think so. Yeah. yeah. It would make for a good thumbnail. So well, that's what's... Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I, got, I found it. I found it. So um, <laughs> a really good friend of mine, and I can't... I, there's a lot I can't tell you, okay? Um, because a, a lot of this is confidential. But um, he, he basically found a way to use machine learning to come up with titles that are likely to hit trending. And I'll just leave it at that. This guy is like actually one of the smartest people I know, but he's like relatively quiet. So I I can't tell you much more than that. But here's some of the titles he he sent me that his algorithm came up with. Things most grandmas can't do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Giant googly eyes on everything. MRE versus space food. Locked in a Chipotle. I mean, like, <laughs> anyway, like, these are, like, really good titles. Like, stuff that you would legitimately see on Trending yeah. that this basically bot was like, oh, yeah, these are great titles. I wonder if that's not eventually going to be the future of... I actually... 
I actually don't want to don't want it to be, but I wonder if some someday we're not going to just have people selecting from the bucket of like most clickable thumbnails and title combinations ever. People tried to do that with pop music, didn't they? Where at a certain point, it, it was like, hey, we can get a top forty song by talking about this thing, doing it in this structure, a very formulaic thing that wasn't something yeah. organically produced from the artist. And it seems like there's been some success with that occasionally. You can manufacture a popular artist or a, a, a certain hit, but not, not too reliably. I mean, you can't just push the button and get a number one single. So there's got to be a level of confidence in, in the ability for that, that something like the machine learning to pay off. But maybe machine learning is so much better than the human intuition is with something like pop songs that you're right, that somebody could just push a button, get a list of 10 topics that are likely to slam against trending, and then decide which one they want to make. I really want to know what the grandmas can't do. Yeah, what can a grandma not do? Yeah, I know. I know. That, that's like, that's, that's definitely, that and, that and giant googly eyes on everything at like 100% going to the top, like absolutely. Yeah, when he sent me that, I was just like, oh man, what am I doing making educational videos? I should, I should quit this, get your little bot and just start farming out these ridiculous videos. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. You have to like, <laughs> there, you got to close that thing or just your face is going to melt. Like it's, it's, it's too pure, <laughs> the algorithm title generator. Do you feel like after doing that kind of analysis on trending, you feel like you know a little too much, a little bit more than you should. Is there anything that you're uncomfortable knowing now that you didn't know when you started? Uncomfortable knowing now. Um, or that you wish you didn't know. I wish that it was, I'm glad I know. Like I'm not, I don't want to be ignorant, but I'm unhappy with, to the extent that things like trending are curated without people's knowledge. Nothing YouTube says implies that they're like, they, they say that like we, we, you know, we want it to be widely uh, entertaining or whatever, but that doesn't mean anything. So th there's nothing that they've really said publicly that would make you think, oh, yeah, they're actually handpicking and handpicking for like mainstream artists, mainstream this, mainstream that. Uh, and so I, I wish they wouldn't do that. And I also wonder how much of search and recommended will become like that or is already like that. Like one thing I've noticed is that... Uh, YouTube seems to have a preferred list of news sources that anytime you search something, they will rank higher than basically anything. They will have like 130 views or something like that. Nobody cares. And they will be ranked higher than like a 200,000 viewed video from some, you know, popular YouTuber. And so, you know, we see these things showing up over and over again. And yeah, I, I'm not happy with it, but I think that it's, a, it's better that it's out there. You know what I mean? Because then the biggest thing I think is YouTubers need a seat at the table. We, we have so little power right now and sway with YouTube. And it's so frustrating that YouTubers need basically a, a, a way to start yeah, having a say. I don't know. So you mentioned the, the, there's a double standard in the news. And YouTube has been forthright with that. I mean, that was a, that was a big yeah. thing. Um, I don't recall... Maybe it was when there was some conspiracy theory, and forgive me for forgetting which one it was, but it, it might have been during the Parkland shooting where some conspiracy theory made YouTube kind of flip a switch on, oh, like crushing. That was Alex Jones was going it? nuts, wasn't it? When he was really pushing 
There was Sandy something Hook. about Sandy not, Hook and Parkland. I think Parkland was there the was next something step with on that. Parkland involving uh, what is it called? Gosh, I wish I could remember. But where you have like a fake person at a tragedy. Oh, there, crisis acting. Crisis acting. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. So there was something about this a crisis actor conspiracy that YouTube flipped out about because I believe one of them showed up on trending. One of the crisis actor conspiracies. And after that, all of a sudden it was like, ooh, we're (laughs) not going to let that happen again. And since then, what what you spoke about is absolutely correct. And I think that they were really vocal about that, where it's like from now on, when you search a thing, you know, CNN and MSNBC and AP and Fox News or whatever is going to surface and all of this other stuff is going to be like kind of way below that. So that definitely exists, that sort of double standard-ish thing. What I wanted to ask you about, though, is I've noticed another one where, well, in your video, you mentioned like late night talk show hosts being able to get away with using language that YouTubers can't. But how about music videos where on trending, you can see a video that's like practically r-rated yeah like, some like yeah yeah oh my gosh like the, I, i'm not trying to be approved for anything but it's like there's wanna, a lot yeah. of swearing there's the people are pretty much naked it's like you could go down the laundry list of things that it's like if if it wasn't a music video this it would, would nev- never oh it, my gosh not only wouldn't it be on trending but it never would be promoted yeah there's t- a total double standard here and this gets us into the content rating thing, which we can talk about, but um, it, it has everything to do with content rating. So I think it's, I'm, I'm not too clear on whether it's like if M videos can never surface on the trending tab or, or something. But anyway, YouTube takes into account what they consider like the content to be. And for whatever reason, they're much more lenient with music videos. I mean, I put it on Twitter, but I saw one where the thumbnails, like the girl in like a G string, and then in the video, it's like her twerking. And then it's, there's bananas like being thrown at her in the thing. And then there's like a, 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 a nut bar ice cream thing or something like that. Like it's like so over the top suggestive, so ridiculous. And that's like, fine. That's, you know, you can show that on trending all day, but you know, just imagine a creator does that. Like that would never, ever go up there. Yeah. You can't even talk about vaping and, and, uh, have that video show up. Oh, probably. it just won't show and, up. I mean, it's, it's not even just no. not trending. It won't, it won't even show up. But uh, yeah, it has something to do with the content ratings. Like that's something that I feel like not enough people know about, not enough people talk about. Um, I think it's more important than demonetization at this point, at, like for creators' livelihood. I think people don't realize how significant of an impact it makes on people's views. You know, a lot... Uh, and. And eventually their ability to make a a livelihood on the platform doing that type of content. And I think you've seen a shift while YouTubers figure this out and they're like, oh, I'm going to clean up my act. While meanwhile, the music videos are like populating trending with some girl half naked twerking, you know, whatever. Which is cool. Like I want to be totally, I want to be totally clear. Like that's great. Like, (laughs) like do your thing artists. Like I want artists to be free to express themselves in any way that they choose. What I think is icky to me is that double standard where it's like, well, this is a music video. So, you know, they can do pretty much whatever they want. And if it's not a music video, it's like, we're going to be checking all of this and making sure that it doesn't have this or this or this or this or this. And and, and if it is, then it's 
totally demonetized or suppressed. So I want to back up two steps on this because in conversations with, with people who watch YouTube and even with some, some creators who don't know a lot about the platform, they just make good videos. I think there's a lot of confusion about what content rating actually is and what it means. Sure. Yeah. How, how it ends up applying to, uh, to the viewer. What does, you know, what does content ma- uh, rating content mating system? That's, that's what we need is a content mating system. <laughs> you get a lot yeah. of views that way. No. <laughs> Reproduce. <laughs> so what does a content rating system mean to, to the viewer? How does that affect them? So the content rating system is a, an invisible thing that nobody knew about. Nobody can see. A, creators cannot see on their own videos. And no real explanation has been given as to how YouTube decides that. They've been pretty opaque with you know, their standards about it. They give you demonetization rules, but they're much more um, silent about their content rating. So content rating is, is from basically G, PG, teen, and M. And essentially, it determines who the video will be shown to. So you, I, I believe kids will be shown G videos. I'm not sure about PG. And then basically PG teen will be shown to basically everybody else besides the kids app, you know, stuff like that. And then M is interesting because it should be for mature viewers, right? Like people who are over 18. But what I found is that's absolutely not the case. So I had a recent video get rated M. It's kind of a long story we can go into it. But what I found is my audience was not being shown it despite me having a mature audience. Like, so I looked at my analytics. I have 6% of my audience is under 18, like very low percentage is under 18, which means that basically 94, 95% of my viewers should be absolutely fine to see this video about vaping, even if it gets rated in, whatever. I don't think it should have been, but, uh, but that's not what you saw. Like, so YouTube just didn't show it to a vast amount of my normal viewers and the normal people who'd be targeted with my videos. They weren't being recommended it and you could see it in the analytics. And so I'm not sure what M means because it's, YouTube doesn't tell us. All I know is that you are much less likely to see a piece of mature content, even if you're 18. And there's no button you can press to say, I want, I'm fine with seeing mature videos. So it's very bizarre. It's it, it, all, all we know is that you get less views when you get rated M. And you can't tell if you've been rated M for the most part. So I don't want to spoil the collaboration between you two in the future, but I've just discovered something that grandmas can't do. They can't watch these videos, even though they're <laughs> old enough. <laughs> Too mature for it's grandmas. Too mature for grand- now, that would be a good video title, Too Mature for Grandmothers. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> that's on a different website. That's not, that's not on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we just, uh, that's, that's my goal on every episode of this show from here on out. It's like, how can I gently demonetize every possible video we make? Um, the, the part about not knowing at all what the standards are, how they're applied, if, how, whether, whatever they've been applied mm-hmm. to you. How is somebody supposed to function in this kind of environment? Because I know Kevin doesn't really, because your videos are, you know, when you're dealing with math and science type stuff, it's pretty tough to go out of bounds to a degree which you're going to be rated M. Um, But you talk about a lot of controversial topics. Sure. Yeah. Uh, And it seems like like the video we talked about a a week ago uh, that, that you made, which was about public policy related to smoking and vaping. Um, that was a great video. It was absolutely fair. Content was substantial. It was well-referenced. Everything was good about this. It was the kind of thing that would be perfectly at home in a high school health class. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. 
I'm sure the average watch time on that video was through the roof. Oh, yeah. Am I wrong? Watch time was great. Click-through rate's great. And that's actually how I got the intuition that it was probably rated M uh, because the views were so... Most videos that I've had do that that well were like a million views or 500,000 views. And then on top of that, when I looked at where it was being recommended, it was only being recommended on the homepage, which is like mostly to your subscribers or people who are like one degree away from you. But it wasn't at all being recommended on the watch page. So when like you're watching YouTube, YouTube was not recommending it. It was like, normally I get like 20% of my views from there. It was like 1% or something like that. So that's a big difference. Oh yeah. I mean, it's being crushed and, and views on YouTube <laughs> are related to momentum. So when you take away 20% of the momentum, it affects more than 20% of your views. Like it just like crashes your video. So yeah, like you, Matt, you said, you know, how do, how do creators behave? Well, this is one thing that I, it's, I struggle to get across to people. The problem with not knowing rules is not just getting in trouble. It's that after you get in trouble, you have to play super conservative, especially when the penalty is so great. Um, so what that does to me as a creator, because I don't know why I was rated M or because, you know, all I know is I talked about vaping and I got rated M. I, I will never make another vaping video. Maybe it was that I put like one clip of an underage teen vaping in the video, which should be fine if you're talking about underage vaping in a documentary sense, but whatever. Like if that was it, then I just wouldn't, I could continue to make that type of content and I just wouldn't do that. But because I don't know now that is that whole topic is just off the table, right? Like I, I cannot talk about it. And so one, one reason I would argue for the release of these type of guidelines is because it lets content creators be more expressive, be more uh, ambitious and take calculated risks, right? Like if you just imagine that basketball, you didn't know the rules, right? And you just got randomly fouled. People would not play much defense because it's like the cost is like really high. I mean, you could get basically fouled out, you know, um, and the higher the cost, the higher the cost to foul, the more conservative you play. And so for me, the cost of this video, like I spent a month on it, I got demonetized and then the views were completely suppressed under the levels that I promised my sponsor. And so I got in trouble with them. I got, I got pissed off because I got demonetized. And so it's like, the penalty was huge. It's like a month, not wasted, but you know, like I would have done something else. And so, yeah, I mean, it has huge implications to what people will see in the future because it's not just about me. It's about all the creators who are making this type of content being punished and they just slowly stop doing it. Like I saw these guys, uh, store, I don't know if you, they're like parkour guys. They get rated M now because YouTube's decided that parkour, because it's not in a controlled environment. The whole thing about parkour is it's outside, right? It's like in whatever environment you're just like running around, flipping around. These guys are professional athletes. YouTube rates them, demonetizes all their videos. They, their whole channel is demonetized. And they've, they've been talking about how their views are getting like suppressed as well. And it's like, what can these guys do? Right. They have no recourse. They, you know, anyway, it's, it's just super frustrating. And you're not going to see store guys because they're not going to make any money and they're not going to be able to do what they want to do. So, and I'm really glad that you brought up the not fulfilling the brand promise thing, because I think that, you know, an audience member might think, well, even if you're demonetized, you have this brand deal. And it's like, well, yeah, but the brand deals are based upon expectations for the video's performance. And if those expectations aren't fulfilled, and in the case of this video that was just crushed and suppressed and didn't even come close to fulfilling, well, now I have to come back to the brand who's upset that we didn't hit that number. And now there are ramifications on that. Are, am I even going to get paid? 
do I have to do another video that sponsors their their uh, service for free, ostensibly now to make up that to ground. make up yeah. for that drop, and it's right. just a mess, huge mess. And the parkour thing is unbelievable. Like, like that's against the rules now. Like doing f- like flipping over picnic tables. <laughs> <laughs> no flipping over picnic there's tables. Just no, there's no context. They say dangerous acts, right? And like, yeah, maybe if some teenager was, you know, throwing himself into barbed wire, like, I get it. Don't <laughs> let people encourage that. But you can see when you're watching a professional athlete channel, a group of professional athletes, you don't think, you know, oh, I'm going to go do that. You know, like, oh, this is what these guys do. I'm not an idiot. I'm not, and I think they even say, like, don't do this at home. But that's not enough because there's not context. It's just, do you fall into this bucket? Yes or no? And then, if so, we're going to rate you M, and you're not going to be able to make a living from this type of content from us, or as you said, from any other thing. I, I mean, I really think that demonetization is one of the most overrated symbols in terms of like YouTubers are all worried about demonetization. And it's like, it matters so much more the views because most creators don't make the majority of their money from AdSense. It's like you get a video demonetized. Okay, that sucks. But it's more, if you still have millions of views, you're going to do just fine. But if you get your views suppressed, then it doesn't matter if you're making the bad AdSense. You're not going to be able to be able to make a living on the sponsors. You talked about something oh, a couple minutes ago that I want to I want to come back to and hit on. Because again, I like the pairing of the two of you guys because Kevin is in, he's a, he's a grizzled veteran of YouTube. Totally. You know, if this was like rookie of the year or something, he's, he's Chet Stedman, you know, Gary Busey's character. Remember that? <laughs> Who's in like the last two years of his contract. I was hoping I could be Daniel Stern, but I, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah, Gary. you could be Daniel Stern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's good. Good. Um, but no, like you've been around for a while. Um, coffee break. You haven't not as long no, as Kevin new kid you've been on the around block. long enough. You're at that point where it's like the guy's been killing it for a few years and he's just about to sign the, the major free agency contract. You know what I mean? Like right at that point where it's like, okay, he's clearly you know, worth quite a bit. This is awesome. But the, anyway, that juxtaposition makes, you know, I think about it in the context of you saying, well, YouTubers don't have a voice. Here. They can't, they don't have a seat at the table so they can go talk to the people who are doing content rating, the people who are making the rules, even if they're not released publicly, whatever. You can get guys who have been around a while, guys who are coming up, brand new creators, get some of the brands involved uh, and get their perspective at least. There are a million resources here that come together to make the whole YouTube sphere. Do you think it's even possible for this kind of thing to happen, to get people like the two of you to talk with YouTube and have them listen and have some part of the process here? I'm increasingly of the belief that it's a, it's a power problem. YouTube's, they care about the creator community, but that community is so disparate that every creator has such small power and such a small voice with YouTube that it's very hard to make a dent, so to speak. And I think YouTube really cares more about the power voices that are all concentrated. So brands can kind of speak as one when, you know, three big brands leave, like YouTube pays attention because the power is much more concentrated. Whereas if two YouTubers complain, like, who cares? You know, that's not affecting our bottom line. And so one interesting thing that I found out about recently is some dudes in Germany is doing a union for YouTubers. He's doing like fair right. YouTube union. And I don't know if that's the answer, by the way. I'm not pitching it as the answer. But um, what I will say is I like the collectivizing of the voice because that's what you need in order to reach audible levels that YouTube suddenly is forced to care about. I think that's what a lot of this comes down to is like YouTube in theory cares about creators, but 
in terms of if they had a priority list, YouTubers keep getting pushed down because it doesn't matter enough to their bottom line. So, yeah. People often come up to me on the street and they say, what's your favorite book? And I'm like, whoa, I don't even know you. And they're like, tell me now. And I'm like, okay, don't beat me up, stranger. It's really weird to approach somebody that you don't know so aggressively and kind of like hinting at violence just because you want to know what their favorite book is. But I'll tell you because I want to not get beat up. The answer is a confederacy of dunces. See this? This is my favorite book of all time. I actually did a video about this book for Wisecrack. You can probably go to YouTube and search Wisecrack Vsauce 2 or Wisecrack A Confederacy of Dunces and um, you'll hear me kind of go into depth about why this is my favorite book. So you should check that out. But you should really, more than anything, listen to this book. If you go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown, you can get this book and listen to it for free. You, you get a 30-day free trial, cancel anytime, no questions asked. And look, my wife recently actually got me a shirt, Paradise Vendors Inc. If you read A Confederacy of Dunces, you will know all about hot dogs. <laughs> so go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown and get A Confederacy of Dunces, or else you may be the dunce. We're like really running low on time and I want to touch on the junk science sure, stuff. Yeah, I, I love that. Before we're done, because I am, I think a lot of this, a lot, a lot of the junk science problems really kind of fold in in a lot of ways to what we're talking about with the trending tab and creating a bot that can create like trending video titles. <laughs> so you did a video about the replication crisis in science and the, the basis of it is that scientists need to publish and they need to create some sort of almost clickbaity science in order to get published so they can get grants, so they can get funding to kind of do this all over again in some, some manner. It seems like a very, it's, it's like a, it's like a self-fulfilling bad junk science circuit, like feedback loop. And I'm not sure exactly how we get out of that. It, 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 I know that you mentioned in your video that, you know, good science takes a really long time and it happens under the radar and, you know, what Higgs worked for five years yep. before the Higgs boson discovery. No, he worked five years till he published the paper and he wasn't recognized for the paper for 40 years. So, all right, that's way worse. It's, it's way worse. <laughs> it's, he published it in 1964 <laughs> and he got recognized in. 2013, so 49 years after he did all this this work. Um, this is something I'd sort of think of as like the tyranny of metrics. I mean, it's like increasingly we, we just want to measure everybody by some quantifiable thing, right? But when it comes to science, it's really hard to judge because, you know, the topics are so disparate and there's so many different levels. Like we don't know what's that important for a long time. And so it can sometimes be a little 
silly to try to judge people, you know, over a year's time of how much they produce. Like, how can you know how good a scientist is in this time? And my question is sort of like, we, these people spend all this time in school. Like, at what level do we realize, okay, these people are adults. We can, to some level, trust them to be doing important work. We can, to some level, release them to have the space to think creatively and think sort of widely. Because the more we select on a certain measure, uh, so in this case, publications and publications are geared towards exciting work, the, the, the heavier you select on that, the more you're going to see people adapt to that solution, right? So like, I, I'll give an analogy to YouTube because you said it ties in with YouTube and it's true. So YouTube is also a natural selection machine, right? Like people make different types of content. People change their content to reflect what's popular on the site. So heritability. And there's a selection mechanism through the algorithm. If you don't have much selection, if YouTube doesn't do too much to rein in the types of content, you can see a kind of a flourishing of all different kinds. But if YouTube decides we're only going to promote the things that are maybe have snails in it, right? Pretty quickly, all you're going to see on the site are things with snails in it because you've selected so heavily. And so this is what you see in science. Like we select so heavily on very specific measures that we see just this flood of kind of garbage. And as a research, I don't know about you, Kevin, but like the reason I made these, I made a video about pop science in this video is because I can't help it. I'm making, I'm like researching and my research is like crumbling beneath me as I like study these topics. Sometimes I'm like, wait, this is totally wrong. Or, or, or like, and it just like, I'm, I lose the ability to tell a story because this new story has popped up of this is total bogus. And I can give examples, add, infinite, but uh, yeah, I guess I should shut up for a bit and let y'all talk. <laughs> no, no, no. But you mentioned the snails. Wasn't that Derek's, uh, Derek Muller's analogy yeah. for, for, if, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I just that. wanted to give him a yeah, shout sorry, out. I totally you totally did. And I want to, want to make sure we give Derek credit for his snails thing. Cause I love that. You talked about, uh, making a metric though. And the thing about metrics is that when you lay one out and make it matter, you get more of the thing you measure. Sure. This is absolutely universal, right? That's just something that comes with measurement of any kind beyond science. But we actually saw that with the length of videos. We saw this over a year or two, maybe five years ago. Is that when longer videos really started to be rewarded? Probably, yeah. And yeah. it was tied into being able to put a couple more ads on. That uh, came that later, I think. That came I think later. The, the ad thing came later. I think the longer videos came first. You know, Michael started making longer videos on Vsauce One simply because he was he like, to. yeah, he just wanted yeah. to. He was like, well, how about I make a 20-minute video? That was the extent of his thought process. But yeah, I remember then a lot of people started making... Yeah. Because back in the day, YouTube videos rarely crossed five minutes. No, no, they were rarely like two, three minutes. crossed five yeah. minutes. And so many videos got stretched out. When that started to happen, then it's like oh. a rule. Like... We got to make 10 minute my videos now. Type, and honestly, my favorite type of, or the funniest thing to me is like when there's a topic, there's so many topics on YouTube and you mentioned them on the, they tend to trend a lot, uh, that could be done in 10 seconds or maybe yeah. 30 seconds. Like, like what's inside? Like there's only one thing you just cut it. It's open. Yeah. Everyone sees what it is. <laughs> and these, these videos have a formula to them, which is like hilarious to me when I see it over and over and over. They start the video with like them doing the thing. And then they're like, wait, let's rewind like five weeks and talk about everything that comes up to this so we can pad out the 10 minutes and then put the 30 second piece of like real content at the back, the bumper of this video. And then you can, you know, this type of content will succeed. 
it's like same with cliff jumping. It's like all I want to see is the guy jump from the cliff. And it's like, wait, here's me vlogging <laughs> to the park. Here's me talking about how scared I am. Here's this, here's that. And then at the very end, they're finally like, okay, let me actually do the thing. Yeah, no, to your point. People are just following. It's how it plays out, though. Yeah. Yeah, they've got this metric, and it, it actually affects the product. We're not hating on Dan and Lincoln, though. We've no, mentioned no, what's inside twice now, and oh, I just want to yeah, make sure. Great. No, they're great. <laughs> we love no. Dan. But what you're saying, though, is yes. that you really, whatever the video is, and we get these comments on Vsauce, too, a lot. A lot of people just want the payoff. Yeah. They don't want all of the stuff that leads to the payoff. And, it, you know, you can have a lot of compelling material that does lead to it. And that's what makes a great video. But it's got to be it's got to be pretty tight. And what I'm talking about is when I see a video that's 10 minutes and three seconds and I look at it and I know it could have been a, a really amazing three minute video. Exactly. And they have seven minutes of stuff that honestly, it's not like it's bad, but kind of could have lived without sure. it. But if they'd made a, a two and a half minute video, they're going to get, you know, psychic pebbles uh, hammer thrown down on them where he makes $47 per million views. So I totally understand why that happens, but it's how having a certain metric, rewarding that, you know, what fits that metric actually affects content. Back in the day, I could slam 15, 20 awesome YouTube videos in an hour. Now, if I have an hour, I'm probably going to watch three good ones. And that's just because I've curated my feed so well. <laughs> if I were just clicking around, maybe I get one good one in an hour. Um, but that's really drawn out content in in an application of that process that your video was about. Yeah, like you said, I just want to reiterate too. There are very good examples of this. Like Mark Rober, he does like very, you know, visual things, but then he backs up and does the science behind it. That's great. I mean, there's good reasons to pad a video. I was talking specifically about some of the more cynical, where it's very obvious, you know, that like you said, Matt, like they don't have 10 minutes of content, but they're for the, for the algorithm. There's somebody I'm comfortable throwing under the bus here. Uh, and yeah, if there's fallout, you can deal with it. I don't, I don't Go care. For it. There was a content cop by Mr. Idubs where he talked about rice gum doing this. Uh, and there was something like three minutes of like a windows loading screen at the end of one of the videos that would put it over the 10 minute mark. And he called that out just saying like, look, if you're at Nine minutes and 41 seconds. Like, come on, man. By all means, it, draw something out and, and go over the finish line. Uh, but there was a case where he was way, way before it. And then it did something that gamed the system. If, if I've offended the one rice gum fan who listens to the Create Unknown, <laughs> join our Discord and, and <laughs> complain about it because I want to hear that story. <laughs> but yeah, it's an egregious kind of abusive. And that never would have happened if having a 10-minute video didn't matter so much in this weird conceptual way. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the weirdness of chasing metrics. And like, and I really sympathize with something y'all brought up, Derek Muller, Veritasium. I, I saw a video and there's just like, once I had done the natural selection of bad science video, this really stood out to me like a sore, sore thumb. Derek says something like on the how to be viral. He goes, I'm going to make more clickbaity content and I'm going to make content that's going to get clicks because it's an existential threat if I don't. He goes, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And so this isn't me trying to sell out. It's me trying to survive in an environment that won't let me survive otherwise to the extent that I want to. Does that make sense? And so that really stuck out to me because that's like natural selection. I mean, that's like the epitome of 
you know, if I don't do it, it's not like it's easy to blame the individual YouTuber and be like, these YouTubers are clickbaiting too much. You know, it's so annoying. But it's a real feeling among YouTubers, and I hate to be inside baseball here, that it's like, if I don't, YouTube won't promote me and no one will see me. And that's like such a hard... Ah, man, when he, when he said that, I was like, I felt that. I was... That's horrible. It sucks. I think this, I think this translates to don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is the theme of this entire episode. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Well, I think that... How do you do, fellow kids? That, <laughs> yeah, what is that even from? Oh, that's old. That's, that is old, yeah. I, I remember hearing that like before college. That like an ice cube thing? I don't know. <laughs> it's very old. I think, you know, I think it's Ice-T because I think he said that about, about pimping. <laughs> I think he said, yeah, it, like he was talking about right. running that, that sort of enterprise. Yes. And yeah. don't hate the player. No, that makes a lot more yeah. sense. I think a lot of what we've t- touched on, though, the answer might just be Patreon-like models where you have a fan base that can help support the content that you're making. Because if not, then you're beholden to YouTube deciding whether or not parkour is mature or not, or deciding whether or not, you know, your audience of 95% adults can watch a video. Is allowed to watch a video. Is allowed to watch a video about vaping policy. I mean, because it's not just, like you said, demonetization. It's also the brand deals. It just cuts everything off at the knees where you're not going to make another video about vaping or smoking because you can't. And that's a really bad thing because that was an excellent video. It informed me on a topic that honestly, I don't know a lot about. I don't Mm -hmm. read a lot about of uh, vaping or smoking policy. So it was nice to get that rundown from you on it. But now what now, now there can't be any more parkour channels come up and coming. Now there can't be like nuanced, like policy video essays created like the amount of fallout and lack and content that's going to be just thrown in the recycling bin is really scary to me as somebody who it is scary. The thing I love about YouTube is that it's supposed to be people creating whatever they want and whatever right. they're passionate about. And it seems like more and more that's no longer welcome like it used to be. I'll, I'll say this. I think, I think Patreon's a Band-Aid. But I don't think it's the it's it's a permanent okay. solution because when at least for the mature problem because the mature problem is a views problem it has nothing to do with money well it's related but it's really primarily it's a views problem and so if you do a Patreon thing um, let's say I was completely supported by Patreon I would be bummed out if a lot of people didn't see it like even if I, I don't just make this for a thousand people who support me I mean that that's like enables me to make the thing but ultimately I I'm it's free because. I want it to be as widely accessible as possible. And so when you kind of step on videos, sure, it'd be nice if I got paid more, but ultimately I didn't make it to get paid, really. I mean, that, that's just a way for me to do more of the work that I like to do and show it to more people. And so what I worry about is these conversations are not being done by, cannot be done by independent creators. And I would argue that independent creators can do a better job on these topics than mainstream media. And I'll explain. I can spend a month on a project. And I will dive in. I will do multiple expert interviews, whether they even hit my channel or not. I talk to several experts. I don't know if you've talked to news 
people recently, but I've had enough, like I've done a couple interviews now with people and they're so squeezed that they, they do, they do articles in one day. They do, they do videos on super short turnaround times. And so you consider who's making the content that will get shown. Well, it's people who will not get rated M. So it's people like BBC, these sort of approved channels of media, you know, CNN, all these, all these people can do pieces of content, but they do really shallow work. I mean, a lot of them, I'm just being super honest here. Like uh, it's just sort of a click farm at some point. They just have to make their views work. They have to pump out content. I get frustrated because like I talked to a lot of experts and experts reached out to me after my video and they said, you know, we're so glad to have a voice that actually saw both sides. We have these media pieces. They just take one side of the story. They run with it. They do an entire video. It's so unbalanced. It's so unfair. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just like wondering, I, I wonder at YouTube value system. Like, I really think that they do not trust creators <laughs> and they don't see the value in their creators. Like, I think if you look at who's doing great work, a lot of independent creators are. They're doing really deep work that actually news is no longer doing, like your, your 24-hour news cycle. So yeah, I see it as a huge problem. I mean, I'm like, I'm sort of depressed about it, to be honest. I love that, that you took it into that area because that's, that's something that I did for years was working in that kind of news, in news environment, uh, online capacity. And you're absolutely right about one-day turnaround on topics. I mean, number one, by definition, News is like breaking recent things. You can't prep for news very well. Although if a topic is big enough, somebody can be dedicated to that topic or assigned to part of the world where there's continuing coverage, whatever. Even that happens less and less. Things like war correspondence, there are fewer of them now than there were 20 years ago, beyond. But anyway, I think about it in terms of books. If you can talk to somebody who has actually read a book that you've written and not read the back cover, read uh, the top few reviews in, in real publications, read the top few positive and negative reviews on Amazon, that is the extent of familiarity that a lot of interviewers have with a book. And William F. Buckley had a show called Firing Line that started over 50 years ago now. I mean, he's, he's been dead a long time, but he actually read the books of his guests. He had a weekly show, so it's a bit easier, but he was a hyper-literate guy. Uh, whether it was somebody he was friendly with or a total opponent, he always, always read the books. You could tell when he would talk about it because he's making references to specific things that came up organically in conversation during the hour-long interview. So it's not like he had research assistants putting post-it notes in the thing. He never could have predicted right. that. No, the dude actually read the material. And it completely changed the conversation that he had with those authors. And so you'd think that somebody who is taking a month and diving deep into a subject, talking with lots of people, doing it on their own time so that they can go down whatever rabbit hole naturally appears with that topic, they're going to produce a superior result to even a big organization like BBC or CNN. And you'd think that YouTube would say, you're normal people worldwide who are, they may not be total experts on an area, but they're pretty good. And they've done serious legwork to get content that really matters. You'd think they would reward that. That's so much better than the surface level trash that comes out out of necessity from the process. Yeah. That you I mean, I mean, I, I like, and I, I don't mean this to like toot my horn or whatever, but like there were six pages of references in that video and everything in there was like, I mean, this is not, 
I, I just get really frustrated because it's like there's there's sort of this old guard that is just tacitly thought of as quality, at least from and you would think that you two would know better because they actually have the new creators in who are, you know, doing a lot of the good work. But you still see that same mentality of like, oh, we just, I mean, it's like what you said, like they implicitly trust CNN as a news source. And Philip DeFranco, no way. Like it's not, he's not approved or whatever. He doesn't match in. It doesn't matter how much he research he does. He is not part of the the networks, I guess, of approval. Anyway, I, like I think one big answer is going to be YouTube will have to roll out a system where they put a badge on people and they say, look, this guy does good work and we will trust him like we trust a CNN or we trust our media source. There needs to be an easier pathway for individual creators to get that stamp of like, oh, you're a documentarian. Oh, you're a this. Oh, you're a that. Instead of having this broad brush of, you, know, you guys use the hammer analogy in your last video, of like everybody just gets treated by the same bot except for CNN, except for the BBC, except for you know Fox <laughs> News. Um, that Yeah, that's a huge thing that needs to change. What do you think about that? They, well, you're right. They already do that. And I'm sure of it with the, the traditional media outlets yeah. of the world. They already whitelist them to allow them to kind of skip you know, to jump ahead of the line, you know, proverbially on a lot of this stuff. And what you brought up is something that we sort of brushed upon in one of the recent episodes where I just feel like there's not that many creators for them to have relationships with. Meaning like, like how many creators are at the level of Coffee Break or Vsauce 2 or, or whatever where it's like at some point you've established some level of credibility here of like the type of content that you make, the longevity that you have and the consistency of it where it's like how many, what is that pool? 10,000, 20,000? I don't know. But how, how much staff do you need to hire a couple of thousand people in order to have like somebody to talk to on a regular basis where it's like, hey, you know, so-and-so at youtube.com it's me, Steven. Uh, why is my smoking video crushed? Part of that, part of the problem there is that, quite honestly, they don't seem to help even when that does happen. Because we had a video on Vsauce 2 recently, this, this, this Navy video that performed like historically badly for the channel. Abysmally? Abysmally. It was orderly. strange, though. It was weird. This isn't like just the lowest kind of thing. It was, no, it was. Instead of uh, having one of the worst times, like in the hundred meter dash, you know, that you've ever had. Now this is like the one time you ran the hundred meter dash, like hauling a wheelbarrow full of lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like Usain Bolt, different. like rolling along the track instead of running. It's like Usain, like stand up, dude. Like why are you rolling? And he's like, I don't know. This time I decided to roll. <laughs> like that's what it was like. <laughs> it was something like uh, significantly off about about that video and in like with yours on, on yeah. vaping um, uh, you're looking at all the metrics on this where it's, it's watch time, it's retention. It's all of this yeah. The comments reading everyone, you know, people are on board with this video. They like it. There's nothing funny about it. It's, it's all adding up properly, but, but there were no answers, but there were yeah, yeah, like, no answers. Like I, I did have conversations and there were no answers. So 
Wait, the, you know, you it's talk not to people at YouTube and what did they say? Uh, I mean, more or less like, well, th- well, you, you don't have to say exactly, but yeah, I mean, it was basically like, well, that's too bad. <laughs> have you thought of adjusting the title or thumbnail? <laughs> yeah. A lot of creators experience success with changes like that. Yeah, it wasn't much. Yeah. It was not helpful. Um, and, and I, I, I shouldn't imply that they weren't trying to help. Right. But. I feel like their arms are tied a, a lot on a yes. lot of this stuff too, because they're just one of however many thousands of employees that work at YouTube. And you know, what are they going to do? Like, they're not going to be able to just flick some switch and all of a sudden your video gets 10 times the amount of views. It, <laughs> it, it was, it, they're not going to help Usain Bolt stand up and start running. Like it's just going to, he's just going to keep rolling either way. There's a slider that does a view flow for every single video on YouTube. And so they go into the back room and slide that up when you complain. That's, yeah. that's exactly how it happens. They just turn the knob. <laughs> they just turn the views knob. Oh, your view knob is at one and a half. We're sorry about that. Somebody must have bumped it. <laughs> You're, we'll crank it to nine for a few hours. Look. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I want to continue the conversation uh, on the other side of the wormhole. We're, we're going a little sure. long here. So, so we're going to go through the wormhole uh, the wormhole exists at patreon.com slash the create unknown. We're going to ex- have an extended conversation with Steven about, uh, you know, Usain Bolt analogies. And <laughs> well, we got a bunch of questions too. Yeah. We have questions from, from the discord. Yeah, uh, several people in the discord are pretty big fans of yours uh, and, and have been since the, the trending video. And so they were pumped uh, when they, they heard that we were going to talk to you. And so we got, yeah, we got several great, questions. Excited to, to answer them. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, what you would do if you had unlimited resources. That's what Faceweight wants to know. What would Coffee Break do with unlimited resources? The sky is the limit for you. And we'll find out right after this at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. For everybody else, thank you so much for watching. You are about to exit the Create Unknown. for listening to the create unknown there's more episode waiting for you but to keep listening sign up at patreon.com slash the create unknown you could hear the rest of our conversation as well as unlock the ad free feed get exclusive content join the idea baby gang and more so find us over at patreon.com slash the create unknown Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at Create Unknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So 
join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at Kevlieb and Tabor TCU. Links in the show notes. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. This episode was edited by Adam Ganong. Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya, Space Cowboys. Once again, this episode was brought to you by Audible. Pick up your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Do it. Your brain and your ears will thank you. Patreon, Patreon, no, no. <laughs> what is that? Silver bells, yeah. Patreon.com slash the create unknown. As beautiful as silver bells. <laughs>